welcome once again to the Field Guide Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Nathan Druitz. I'm a local extension educator for crop production in Stearns, Benton, and Morrison Counties. And with me, as always, is Michael Cruz, a local extension educator out of Houston and Fillmore Counties. How are you doing today, Mike? I am doing fantastic, Nathan. How are you doing? All right. The sun is shining, as you can see, and things are looking pretty good outside. So, you know, I can't. I have no complaints on my end. Well, you can always have a complaint, but you're right. When the sun's shining, it's pretty hard to beat it. So, Nathan, I am bringing today a very special guest for our first official interviewee-type podcast. Um, today, I'm going to introduce everybody to my father. Uh, my father is actually a retired farmer from Northeast Iowa. Don't hold that against him, please. Uh, so at, at his peak, he, he operated probably around 2,000 or 2,200 acres. He uh, ran primarily a corn and soybean operation. Uh, you know, we had a bunch of different types of equipment. We had pasture on our land. Uh, Dad did a whole bunch of custom work, uh, operated for a number of years, but has since retired from production agriculture and has gone into other avenues, other pursuits. Um, so yeah, I, I would like to take this opportunity to introduce everyone to my dad. Dad, say hi to everyone, please. Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's sun, and the sun is shining here also. <laughs> That's good. That's good. He's a little bit further south than we are here in Minnesota. So thank you, Dad, for, uh, for coming on. Um, so like I had uh, kind of introduced you already, uh, you're a you know, relatively small-ish farmer. Uh, down in Northeast Iowa when you're producing, uh, especially small compared to today's standards. Um, you know, we're going we're gonna to run through some of the past history, some of the things that I probably don't even know. And so I guess I, I'd just kind of like to get started, though, by taking maybe a 10,000-foot level look at, at the operation that you put together. So if you were to describe your operation, probably better than what I just did, like if you had to look back on it, how would you describe your production operation? Well, it, it's like you said, my operation was basically corn and soybeans. I grew into that from my father, who uh, when, he was, when he was farming, it was, it was livestock and corn and soybeans. He, so he was a big rotator of crops between hay, oats, corn, soybeans, but he had also had livestock. I, on the other hand, went completely grain, completely corn, completely soybeans, sometimes some oats and some other things that maybe we'll get into later, but those were just tries, but rather than corn and soybeans was the main thing I did. Right, right. And so what, what was your actual peak acreage when you were doing it? The most I ran at any one time was 2,200 acres. It was 2,200. That's what I thought. Um, now, because I'm curious and I assume, I hope others are as well. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how you got into it? I know you brought up your dad quite a bit there, but I know uh, an uncle of mine was also part of the original operation too. So I'm kind of curious how you got started. Well, I got started basically because of my dad, although I grew up wanting to farm since I was 10 years old. I used to ride with my father when he would cultivate corn. I'd sit there all day as a 10-year-old watching the corn go under the tractor. Uh, so, you know, I was enamored with the whole thing. Um, I, uh, I think maybe I took a different path. My family, I was in the, the, the number of years where you had to go to college. Everybody thought I, I had my first opportunity to go to college. I was only the second one in our 
in our family that went to or had the opportunity to go to college. Well, I didn't want to. Uh, that was not for me. And after trying it for a few months, I ended up coming home. And that's when I asked my father, okay, can I get in the operation with you? And God bless his soul. He took me in under his wing and, and it went from there. And my brother was farming with my father at the time. So I was the third person to get into the operation. Right. Right. So what would, what did the operation look like at that point? You, you had mentioned before multiple crops and maybe some livestock too. Uh, at that point, there wasn't any livestock. No livestock. Was, it, was, it was all corn and soybeans and some oats. We did raise oats once in a big way, as a matter of fact. Uh, one thing I would tell you, my dad was a big innovator of, of trying new things. Mm -hmm. So we did a lot of that as the three of us were working together. Um, our operation was um, mainly, we didn't own very much ground. We rented almost everything. I'm trying to think. We owned maybe 250 acres at the, at the very peak. The rest of it, the rest of all the acreage. And at that time, when the three of us were farming, we were probably up close to 3,000 acres. Oh, okay. But when you asked me how much I farmed, that's what I farmed by myself. By yourself, right. Yeah, later on when my dad passed away and, and my brother got out of farming also. Right, right. So I know you had mentioned, okay, so you had oats and there's obviously some hay in there before you came back to the operation. Um, you know, when, when I was growing up, you were only corn and soybeans. I'm assuming yeah. that's kind of the way it shifted over time. I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to why you decided to make that shift or frankly, maybe why grandpa decided to make that shift away from having alfalfa and stuff as well. Okay. When I was very young, this was before I was even in high school, my father raised livestock and he, he trans, he transformed from being livestock farmer into total grain, total corn and soybean, excuse me. And when he did that, um, I think that's when we really rented, started renting a lot of ground. Um, when I was home, we had 160 acres and he used to brag about how he fed the whole family on 160 acres and, and made a living on it. Well, as we know nowadays, that, that sounds archaic, doesn't it? <laughs> but he did. He honestly did. Um, when he trans transitioned from, from livestock, that, that made everything go away as far as the three crop rotation, which was basically hay, which started with oats, obviously, and yeah. corn and soybeans. Yeah. Well, then it went to just corn and soybeans until, I'm going to tell you dollars and cents drove what he grew. Yeah. What, there was one period of time when oats were very valuable at the time. We were selling oats for a dollar and 40 cents. These figures aren't going to make many, much sense in today's world. But $1.40 oats was very profitable at the time because there was very little low input, you know, nitrogen and, and a little bit of seed. And that was about all you did with oats. Mm -hmm. We regrew grew almost 1,000 acres of oats one time, at one time. It worked a couple years, but that didn't last too long. But that's kind of the way my father did things, is, is he was not afraid to try new, new operations, if you will. We even grew sunflowers, believe it or not, at one time. Which, by the way, may sound absolutely crazy to you, but other than we had no market, it worked pretty well. I think we'd have been successful if we'd have had a market for the darn things. And this is just my recollection, recollection because I was still on the young end of things then. I wasn't in the operation. I was just growing up. But I remember him doing it. 
Did you ever ask him why he made the decision on the sunflowers? I think that's oh, no. fascinating. I knew, I knew very well what it was. It all was dollar and cent driven. The market was very good. But who shipped sunflowers? And he didn't think far enough ahead. Who shipped sunflowers in, in Northeast Iowa? Where right. in the world could we end up taking them with semi clear to Duluth, Minnesota to get rid of them oh. on the ship? I don't think I've ever shared this with you. No, and no, you haven't. Then what happened was, and I can remember vividly sitting around the table listening to it, is they gave us a terrible grade on the on the sunflowers we sent up there and had he had no recourse. You know, the product was there, ship put it on the ship and, and he took what he what he got. Well, that turned out to be a backfire. So we didn't continue to do that because we had no market. But I think yield-wise, we did quite well. I can't remember the exact yield it was per, per acre, but it was pretty good. We did quite well with it. What kind of sunflowers were those? What kind? Yeah. I was too young to tell you what. <laughs> big tall well, ones that had, <laughs> that had things like this. I mean, oil or? Oil, like, oil. Oil. Okay, there you go. Yeah, that's what I was okay. Yep. yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking when I'm I'm talking about something when I was you know like 12 or 13 years old, and those types of things didn't resonate with me at that time. But it was it was interesting. We were pretty good at it, I thought. Um, I don't know. I wish we'd have had a market because I think we'd have done it more. Right. It was it was one of those things that sunflowers to me were kind of like oats. It was mm. a shorter season thing. You could get get them done we can handle more acres because we spread our workload out sounded good to me i was just a youngster thinking about things like that i don't know about you nathan but that sure sounds like a lot of the stuff that we talk about these days trying to spread out your workload it's like hmm you know some things never change oh yeah absolutely i mean up here even you know we're starting to get in morrison county we've got a cold pressing plant now in morrison county for sunflower production yeah i know there at sunflower production up in this area you can actually find it if you get closer to staples and, and coming down towards little falls there it's in, it's kind of fun to see because outside of kansas i don't think i've ever seen sunflowers produced uh you know beyond beyond kansas and yeah so. I, I was gonna say you can grow them here because yes. we did it <laughs> oh yes I also forgot, I guess, South Dakota too, but that, and that's why I was curious as to where you took them because in South Dakota, they actually, that's where you're, uh, where I was at, there was a lot of spitting seeds. So you, the seeds that you consume, and I don't remember what plant it was, but it was right there next to where we were at. So you had some, some acreage of, of, of sunflowers there for that purpose as well. And it's a, uh, it's a different world when you enter sunflower production versus, you know, especially today versus uh, even what it, what it looked like back back you know oh i'm sure 30 40 sure. years ago so harvesting methods that was a big challenge for us was even how to harvest them how are you going to cut those big plants off you, I, I don't know how they do it today i haven't even seen it but now back then we had these funny looking pointy pans that we put on top of our in front of our corn head or not corn head bean head bean table i don't know if they still do it that way you and, know I, I haven't seen the actual harvest equipment, but it is very, you know, from what I gather, it's very similar to almost kind of like a corn, a corn head. Yeah, but had, ours had no gathering change. It was just these pans that you tip backwards and the stuff slid back. Pretty, pretty uh, prehistoric, if you will, at the time, because nobody did it from here, you know. And it's been kind of fun, especially up in this region, watching that as it's developed, is there's a lot of growers who've come together and have bought an equipment or rented equipment for the specific purpose of being able to put in sunflowers and, uh -huh. and 
and the companies who take them are definitely helping out on on that front uh, more so than you would expect because of the of the demand right now for it. So it's really it's really cool to see this creep in, if you will, and and really uh, take a hold in 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 a, on acres where normally we would only see corn or soybean production. Right, right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So that's, it, that's, that's kind of recall for me. Yeah. Uh, I, it's interesting. Well, it, it kind of leads me to a follow-up question. I'm, I'm curious about. You know, I, I remember the the gleaner that that you that we grew up with, right? The the what was it? It was an R50, right? Yes, On it that? was. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of curious for like when you got started, you know, with with Uncle Jim with your dad, um, mm-hmm. how that relationship worked on who used equipment who owned it and how that worked and then how you kind of transitioned to this point where like you got your own combine and you got your own tractor like i'm kind of curious how that transition went well you mentioned the combine specifically and that came about when my brother decided to get out of farming he he got out before i did mm-hmm. okay uh, as far as transitioning and 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 equipment use i would tell you that we each own us. Okay, we, we as a, as the three of us farm together, we would pick out the uh, the implements that we were going to use in our operation. Okay, and we did our best to equalize the amount of dollars each one of us had invested in the equipment. It is it's not a hundred percent. I would tell you that my father probably had two thirds, and my brother and I, at least starting out, probably had a, a third between us. You know, and as time goes on, that changes. You have to understand, my dad got us both going. Let's let's be honest. That's that's the way. That's the way. And even nowadays, I don't know how any young farmer ever starts without some sort of help. It just even back then, I couldn't have I couldn't have gotten started on my own. I don't think I may have been able to, but I didn't have to, so I didn't look for it. Right, right. So then you. Um... You had a couple of tractors. You uh, built your own truck sprayer. I remember that. I mean, do you have any highlights off of building your own spray equipment? You're talking to two educators here that teach private pesticide applicator training. So keep it on the up and up. <laughs> well, I think I that was probably more of a challenge than it was anything else. Yeah. Um, back then, there were just a few high boys and there weren't the big interrogators and the, the kind of equipment you, you see today didn't exist then. I was looking for something that was faster. I was by myself and to pull a tractor around with a pull type sprayer and have to go, I didn't have a, a, uh, uh, what do I want? A tank. Yeah. I, I didn't have a tank to take out to the, the field to refill the sprayer. Yep. So, I thought if I build if I build a pickup sprayer, well, I can go down the road 60 miles an hour from field to field or yeah. field to, to backfill to fill it with. Yeah. So it, it seemed like to me that that was another thing that that saved time for me since I was by myself. When I had that, I was by, I was farming by myself and trying to do it as much as fast as I could, you know, when it's when it's time sensitive. Right. So the idea of the sprayer was speed. And a little bit of ego on my own to see if I could do it <laughs> <laughs> to make it work because there weren't the um, co-ops and stuff had had pickup sprayers. Mm. That, and that was our local co-op. That's where I got the idea. We didn't have I don't know if they had a high boy that did sprayers that did spraying. They did some with fertilizer application, but I don't think they had sprayers. They basically used pickups. Yeah. So I thought, well, I could do that on my own. 
<laughs> no, that's where it came from. It wasn't, it worked, but I never was really good at it. Mm. Uh, it served its purpose because I was much faster. Yeah. You know, it had a, a, if I remember right, a 500 gallon tank on it and I could, I could spray, seems like it was 50 acres at a time. And at that time that was really getting a lot done. Yeah. You didn't have to spend 20 minutes going because you have to understand my ground was spread out over, oh, back then, not, not in today's standards, back, back then it was like 10 miles. Yeah. Well, I make a 10 mile run with a tractor to go fill it up with water is that's pretty well eats up your day. Yeah. yeah. I can get back and forth. So that, you know, it worked. I wasn't the greatest in the world. I'm, my technology wasn't any better then than it is now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kind of curious. You said it worked, but how do you, are, but you weren't really good at it. What, what do you mean by not really good at it? Are we talking mist, mist weeds here? Are we talking no, about? No, not that so much as, as I was building it from scratch and all I did is look at someone, someone else's sprayer, like the co-op sprayer, and I tried to copy it. Well, sometimes on my copying, I thought I had a better idea and it, sometimes it backfired on me. So through trial and error, when I was all done, it worked quite well. Uh, as I started, and it was a, I wish I could remember, probably had it for five years. Yeah. And it was a process of improving it every time you find out something that worked. I wanted, I wanted booms that folded automatically, for instance, so I could just never stop and, and do them well. I specifically remember, I shouldn't even talk about this, but I had built something and I folded it up and I didn't flip a switch or something. I took off down the road and took one boom off, off the side of a bridge. You know, <laughs> because my own fault, don't get me wrong. I had no one else to blame because I built the darn thing. Um, things like that. When I say I wasn't that good at it, that's what I meant. Not that I couldn't, the application and, and what I did with it was successful, but I don't think I'd want to go in production and, and, and produce them on a mass scale. <laughs> well, and, and that is, that is very interesting. Well, for starters, I know even with the new equipment and, and the automatic boom, you know, the, the booms all being able to be folded up automatically, even then you still have stories of, of growers and co-ops losing booms in the field. And, and I know uh, from different points of time, sometimes those welds even fail and uh, you will end up dragging your entire boom uh, by the hose behind you. Uh -huh. so, I did. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, you're miles ahead of the time of the time there. I mean, if, if you're doing that, but this idea of putting, of having a pickup sprayer, I've, I've, I've seen sprayers in the back of ATVs and I have seen, but they're really small sprayers. And so this is an entirely new concept to me anyways, how fast did you go in that pickup when you're spraying that, when you're spraying a field? Oh, probably 15 mile an hour. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and that was fast. I was looking for, for speed. At that time, uh, my tractor sprayer, which was a 250-gallon sprayer with a, with a 30, well, I don't know if it even had 30-foot booms, 30-foot booms. I can't remember for sure, but that was, you know, seven-mile-an-hour, maybe six, seven-mile-an-hour spraying. And I, I, I could get up to 15. And so... I think I had a good idea, but I needed somebody maybe smarter than I was to make it work the way it should. <laughs> oh, shoot. Well, 
Yeah, go ahead, Nathan. Well, and, and the only thing I could think of there is is the no, then the, you know, do you recall what nozzles you were using at that point? I mean, I, I know that some of the applicators there. I mean, mm. the guys, the guys that I know, that this is this is something that would interest them because you know they they'd probably be relatively interested to know what that looked like and and you know what what that was at the end of the day. The only thing I could remember for sure, because I don't know the numbers, if they were 60s or, or what the number was, but I remember all we had was brass. We didn't have stainless steel. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so you know how far back it was then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, fan, fan type, I didn't have flood jets. Uh, nothing, nothing like where you change and change nozzles with three different ones like you see now. Oh, no, that was nothing like that. They didn't even exist then. No, no. I know this. This is going to sound to you folks like, oh gosh, well, he must have been pulling stuff around with horses for God's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, not not even not not quite that far because this is just you know in front of that, you know. But but yeah, no, it's really interesting to hear because you know, I, I, dealing with the technology we have today, just just envisioning that is, is you know, it definitely brings joy to me uh -huh. and probably some pain to other people. But, you know, it, it's a lot like going to my extension office and pulling out the old carousel uh, slide sets. And, and, and I've got an old carousel projector in there. And I know they haven't been used probably in 10, 15 years, but it's still really cool to hear that and, and see some of the things that, you know, actually happen at a point outside of a, a time frame when I, that I remember. So yeah, no, it's just really cool to, to hear. Well, this might be a good time for this. When I started farming, I always said to myself, because I thought I, my, my vision of, of running a farm was way different than my dad's. And I always said, if I had to farm like my father did, I never would have. Hmm. Uh, I can give you an example. Um, he had one of the first self-propelled combines in the world that I know of. It was an old Massey 300, I don't know what, no cab, set right out over the, the throat of the machine and ate dirt all day long. I can remember my dad did a lot of custom work. He, he custom combined 800 acres with that thing with a 13-foot table sitting in the dirt. I can remember him coming home and he had goggles on and all you could see was, was this, his, his eyes. Everything was, else was dirt and it might have been, it wasn't this cold, but it was cold. And I said to myself, I'm not doing it that way. And so you, you step from what he did, the way he farmed, to the way I farmed, to the way farming is done today. Why, <laughs> I stepped in a in a, a bean planter last year for the first time. I, I helped a, a friend of mine that I used to farm with back and forth a little bit before I retired from farming. And as a when I planted beans, it was like four or five miles an hour and looking down the road and I get in this thing and it's, of course it's got GPS and auto steer. And, and I said, well, how fast do you go? He says, Oh, eight miles an hour. Well, to me, eight miles an hour, I may as well have been the Daytona speedway. That just sounded like it was insane to go that fast planting beans. After I got onto it, I said, well, boy, did this life pass me by. I said, Holy smokes. That was a change. That is incredible. Matter of fact, I'm looking forward to doing it again. Cause it's so easy. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious dad. Um, because we oftentimes in our offices will get questions we put on programs our ag business management group does about farm transitions and and you'd actually just kind of briefly brought up one of the kind of sticking point in transitions is when the next generation that's coming up kind of goes i don't want to do it like you right but you were very tied into your dad like you said 
grandpa kind of helped you get going and kind of set you up. Like, how did that go over those conversations about, hey, I want to do this different, dad? Did he give you leeway? Like, how did that work out? Honestly, honestly, my dad was probably one of the most progressive people there, there was for his time. I could tell you he was one of the first men to put a chisel plow on the field for, versus a moldboard plow. Uh, the sunflowers, nobody in this world would have grown sunflowers. He was that type of guy. So moving forward, trying new things for him, he was probably on board as much or more than I was. Oh. He was a risk. He was a risk taker then. Okay. Uh, I would say what I, what I did after he passed away or after he quit farming was just an extension of him, of, mm -hmm. of, of trying new things. And I don't know what, what you want me to get into, whether it be double crop or double row cropping or, or rotation or whatever it might be. But, uh, my thought process probably came directly from him right. of trying new innovative things. Uh, I'll tell you right now, they don't always work. They, <laughs> they didn't always work, but always kept trying. Okay. Tell me about something that didn't work. Something that didn't work. Yeah. Something that you struggled with that, that you really thought was going to work and you, you kind of stubbed your toe on it a little bit. And yeah. Well, I think that of course, it comes to mind because we talked about it, and that's sunflowers. I thought it was a great when I was. Matter of fact, I was young. Understand that I didn't have any input whatsoever. I just thought it was a great idea. No. Uh, that was one. I'm trying to think of something mechanically uh, that we tried because the, the chisel plow obviously was. Mm. I, I know one thing that I tried, and I I don't know what has happened with that research. And I tried double rowing corn, oh. putting putting. And, and, and tried to stagger the, the plants actually in a, in a, like six rows apart or six inches apart or four inches apart and, and having two rows, four inches apart and then 30 inches and then two rows, four, you know, four inches apart. Uh, I, I, I fell apart on that because I didn't have the technology. I, th I think I would have liked to have gone farther with it. It was, it was an effort for me to try and increase yields, you know, to space out. Uh, if you're going to plant 30,000 sure. plants per acre, rather than put them in a row one right after another, you, you use that extra four inches to give yourself more space between each plant. That was the thought process behind it. Right. And I tried. Uh, you got to remember, I didn't have GPS. I didn't have the, the kind of planters they had then. I tried to do it simply by the naked eye, simply by, by my own ingenuity trying to do it. Without without GPS and the things they have today, it just didn't work. No. I couldn't drive straight enough. I couldn't, uh, obviously the ideal situation for doing that is stagger each plant. Yeah. And I couldn't, I had, you know, just didn't have the technology to do that with. No. So I just think that was too soon. It might work today. I don't know if it would help yields or not. It was, that was another thing that was in my mind that it might. Yeah. No. Yeah, so, that comes to mind. Other than that, I, you know, it's been a few years. I don't know if I can remember. <laughs> I can forget those failures if I can. <laughs> well, we've only got a few minutes left here. And, uh, you know, I guess then the next question here is, you know, we're going to start talking about some of the, the practices, I guess we're going to briefly highlight some of those. And, you know, when you, especially when you start talking about some of your conservation practices, can you just give us a little bit of a highlight as to what that looks like as, as you went along? Uh, I guess it came 
the first thing as far as conservation was was a chisel plow. I was I was completely on board probably before anyone else, even my father was for that, uh, because I didn't like seeing my my fields in the in the road ditch or washed down and, and reels in the field from water, whatever it was. And and to me that was a it was a giant step forward in, in tillage practices. Uh, I tried to get away, and it's hard to get away from the old tandem disc. Uh, discs tend to, to, to compact soil. Anything that rolls compacts. So I tried to use that at a minimum. Uh, got, got into no-till. No-till, I think, was another conservation practice as far as saving the soil. Um, a driver of that for me, I would admit to you, though, was, was time. I was farming by myself. And being able to no-till and not going, making so many trips over the field was, was attractive. Um, it was a combination of both of those, or of all those types of things, as far as less, less compaction, uh, less with less trips over the field. I never got, in, in, in no-till, I never got to control my, my paths, my trips over the field where I kept the same path every year. I never got to that point before I quit. I think I would have liked to have for controlling compaction. Um, I wish, I honestly wish oats would have been a, a better crop. A, a three crop rotation to me was much better than two. We never, I, back when I was farming, you couldn't grow corn on corn. You would you'd suffer 20 bushels of the acre every time you tried it. It just, the, the hybrids weren't there. Maybe the tillage practice. I don't know why, but that never worked for me very well. I, I steered away from that very hard. I tried to be a 50-50 rotation between corn and soybeans all the time. Kind of like you couldn't grow soybean two years in a row. That didn't work really well either. Well, you know, kind of looking at the time and where we're where we're sitting right now, I, I think that's a perfect spot to end this conversation. I think we all know we've got more to talk about. We got other things that we want to highlight, but uh, I'll give Nathan here the last chance if he's got any follow-up questions he wants from my dad. Uh, go for it, sir. I say I really don't. Um, so thank you for joining us here today, and uh, we'll definitely have to have you on to complete that conversation tillage talk here, and as well as uh, talking maybe a little bit more about crop rotation. Uh, for those of you who are interested in more information, as always, you could contact Mike and myself directly. You can find our contact information at extension.umn.edu backslash local. Each county is listed there. Keep in mind that every county has a 4-H office. However, not every county has an AFNR educator, but the local educator team is always ready to as answer any questions you might have or put you in contact with other educators who might be able to answer your questions. So please feel free to use that resource as best as you can. And with that, I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in to this episode of the Field Guide Podcast.